On this episode of Head Wraps, we speak with artist, writer, and activist Anas White. Now, this episode is a little bit longer than the previous one. Okay, a lot a bit longer, but the conversation was so good. And I ask that you guys just stick with me and bear with me through this interview and just enjoy the conversation. I actually, I promise you, you're going to like it. Assalamu alaikum, peace y'all, and welcome to another episode of Head Wraps, a peek into the Black Muslim American experience. I am your host, Malika A. Shabazz, and thank you for coming back two weeks later from the first episode and listening to me once again. On today's episode, we are speaking with Anas White. Anas is a 24-year-old Muslim artist, writer, and activist with a deep-rooted interest in race relations, particularly as it pertains to members of the African diaspora, religious pluralism, and African spirituality. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. How are you, good sir? Oh, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm well. So I'm thankful. And yourself? I'm pretty good. I can't complain. It's a little hot over here on the East Coast, but... You know, well, can't be any hotter than Georgia. So. These are facts. That is a fact. All right. So first of all, thank you so much for being part of my podcast and coming on here and Absolutely. talking and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. Oh, oh gee. Okay. So you are an artist, an activist, and a writer and a Muslim, and all these other great things. So just briefly talk to us about your journey into becoming an artist, which would account, which encompasses being a writer and an MC and a producer and all that jazz. Okay, sure. So honestly, um, I'm actually, well, I'm only 24, but I've been do- working in artistic faculty, specifically in terms of music, um, since I was 13. So it's been about 11 years. And um, after a while, that kind of branched out. I had a little hiatus from music, and uh, that kind of branched off. I still had to express myself in a way. That gave way to a lot more writing um, thought pieces, op-eds, as opposed to writing a song or a poem. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess... uh, it really became, or art and expressing publicly really became important to me probably about seven years ago, um, which is when I started to publicly try to expand my um, spoken word and music careers. So it's just a short background of that, you know. No, I don't know, but okay. I don't know either. (laughs) But you should, because this is you. This is me. There's a reason why I don't know. Why you don't know, I, uh, um, you know. See, because it's talking about my my music career that's really hard. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard because I did take a sizable hiatus from making music um, because of where my focus was at in terms of making music. So 
my, and I mean by focus, who am I making music for? Why am I making music? Who is the audience that I'm trying to attract or reach out to? And I think after a few years of serious effort in trying to appease and appeal to a majority Muslim audience, I kind of ended up feeling more so dejected and a little bit on the fake side in all honesty because I feel that and this is not in all cases this is not a blanket statement but not every there I mean but it's also a truth and a fact that not every Muslim right. has the same story and not every Muslim has the exact same views which is why I tend to oppose statements that start with we as Muslims but um so yeah trying to appease and entirely Muslim audience that started to kind of fail me in a way and this was also at a time when society's focus was shifting once again towards blacker issues and issues that pertained more so to my heritage than the religion that I've ultimately chosen to adhere to and practice mm-hmm. so it was art kind of giving way to a, re- a a feeling of rejection, which led to an evolution for me in terms of where my focus ultimately had to lie. Not that I made a choice between being black and being Muslim, but I made a choice on where I put my focus at, which mm. one comes first in my title, if you will, in my Muslim african-american or am i a black muslim Mm. so kind of had to grow into you know grow into a new focus so now figuring out your own identity exactly figuring out my identity where i fit in who i feel i speak to and for and so finally um my musical hiatus has ended and so i'm once again working on a release and um, I do still write uh, every so often, and I've doing I've been doing a lot of that lately. Just recently, authored authored a piece on the death or murder of Corinne Gaines, and um, you know those stories continue to roll in, and those issues continue to become more and more prominent. So of course, I'm definitely not done writing just because I'm back to making music. Right. Okay. Well, since you brought up the whole, you you were speaking about not catering to the entire Muslim audience. We know how in Islam, you know, music is a source of const, constant discussion and discourse. Oh, it's haram, or it's not haram, or you can only use these instruments, or blah, 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 blah. Oh, so conversations. <laughs> so when you, I guess, first started your journey music, which I guess was very, very young since you're only 24 and you took a seven year hiatus. So this had to be like high school years or something like that. Were there any difficulties? I guess, was there, was there, did you feel any conflict? Was there any pushback from either your immediate community or the broader Muslim community? Were there any difficulties in that? Oh, that's kind of an interesting one to speak on. Um, so speak on it. Yeah. Might as well, right? So, honestly, I did encounter a lot of people in my early career uh, as a musician, specifically who 
more so tried to treat me like a product and mm-hmm. were consistently there trying to tell me how and who how to or who to cater to and how to and at one point I just kind of just kind of clicked and I was like wait a minute like y'all don't y'all don't even f with me like that y'all just see me as a product mm-hmm. and so you had to branch off from there and try to go full indie and self-managed and uh so yeah I definitely experienced a lot of pushback because a lot of that trying to market me involved trying to keep my art within bounds that were acceptable to the Muslim community at large trying mm-hmm. to keep me in one in one uh focus area you know keep me exclusively focused on spoken word and acapella stuff as opposed to doing hip-hop and had to move on from that and then then it was okay do full hip-hop but do hip-hop that speaks to muslims specifically and so yeah there was I, there was definitely a pushback not so much from people in my community not so much from people in my family but I would say the majority of the pushback that I saw first was in the business itself and people who would push back to try to control something. But um, I think in the community, like if you go to my YouTube page and you look at a couple of my videos, it's just the kind of the same thing every other Muslim artist has gotten. Mm. It's just a, a nice thread of, are instruments allowed? Are they not allowed? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, and I, you know, had to move on from that entirely and state that my YouTube, my, the comp, my youth, my comment section on YouTube is not the place to have a, you know, theological discussion. It's not, but you know, people get on the internet and they become shakes and imams and, and comment experts. Comment suck. I, I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Comment sections are just uh, the debate room. Good old internet. That's where all the fatwas happen. Oh, yeah. They're still doing that, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, since we're talking about it, Muslim hip-hop. Does it? (laughs) Come on now. Muslim hip-hop. You know what it is. Does it exist? Did it exist? Were you part of it? Are you part of it? What what is Muslim hip-hop today? Like, I... I have my opinions of what it was and what it's grown to be, but I just want to hear from, I guess, being an actual artist and being on that side of being categorized as a Muslim artist. What is Muslim hip hop? What is it? No clue anymore, to be honest. I know that when I was first making a name for myself in the quote unquote then Muslim hip hop scene, it was a bunch of different types of artists um, who kind of generally made music within a certain bound. So like there was the large absence of, for example, colorful language, Mm -hmm. um, the absence of certain topics entirely. Um, It was kind of a honestly a, a watered down version of society in my mind. Like mm. I said, just to cater to the sensitivities of one's one's you know theological adherence, and so for me personally, that's why I didn't I couldn't vibe with it. 
presently, I think if you ask just or you're anybody on the internet, if you were to ask the question on Facebook, I think a bunch of people would shout out Dean Squad. And the um me personally I don't I don't rock with it at all. Um I never really was a fan of, you know, like it's kinda like, you know, you box into this into this tiny group who does this corny remix of something else mm-hmm. and i was like where's the art really i like especially when it comes to you know dean squad being the most popular out there right now i'm i want to hear something from them specifically and not so much a drake and fetty wap remix all the time so I mean, I feel like they definitely are like trying to Islamify like this. This is the issue I have have with Dean Squad. And it's like, I don't know them personally. They're just too there. It's cute, you know, and it's great for the convention culture night circuit. But when you're someone who's into hip hop as a culture is to see you just try to Islamify music it makes it it feels like you're saying oh that's haram that's wrong we have to make it halal for us and it's not true because if you there you have the the brother ali's and the amir suleiman's and the tyson amir's and the uh the, exactly. the brother well, i think he goes by brother amir now what is he goes by yeah. brother amir yeah yeah like you know, dudes who are 580 Right, right. And you have do- people like, you know, Brother Amir who may use colorful language, but then you have people like Tyson who don't, and they're still dope. And so I feel like when, you know, you have the Dean Squad type music, it's really taking away from artists. And I'm not saying the Dean Squad don't take it seriously, but there are people out there who are creating their own art and they're telling their own stories and it gets covered up by this quote-unquote Muslim hip-hop, which is basically you trying to put a halal remix on something that's not haram, per se. You know what I'm saying? That pretty much sums up my feelings for it. It's like, where's the originality? And then also, for me, it kind of makes it seem that Muslims can only have some, you know, leftovers, per se. Mm. It be, it was, if it was made popular in society in general, then it becomes something that is deemed eligible to what, remake or remix for the Muslim community. And I'm like, for one, like you said, it makes it seem like kind of this Muslim superiority, mm. first of all, but it also just takes away from the originality. So that's why I really had a, a hard time, you know, just defining what Muslim hip hop is because there are so many Muslims in hip hop and then there's hip hop being done by Muslims. And I think those are two totally different things. Uh, you'll let's just take notice dean squad was not a taking it to the streets so taking it to the streets kept it real authentic this year with their lineup they had vic mensa on there i know i was like whoa that was that was the last minute addition that was like oh man and he was cursing and he said nigga and everything and i was like whoa because vic mensa keeps it real first of all it's in his neighborhood second of all and so that is kind of a great showcase of, if you will, overall, 
hip hop and Muslims and the mm-hmm. their middle ground and where it all comes together. Because, you know, we have Brother Ali who Brother Ali can be as colorful as Vic Mensa with it. So uh right. actually he's honestly one of the people who made me comfortable with cursing in my songs. In within context most of the time. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, he was one of the people who was like, "Well, if that's how you feel, then say it." So, you know, and it's interesting, like with taking it to the streets, because this year, like I, I, I have yet to go to one, believe it or not, and I meant to go this year and just forgot. But it was interesting that they forgot. had, huh? You just forgot. I didn't forget. Like I, I, <laughs> I forgot to put it on my calendar, so I didn't make plans, and then I turned around and it was here. Um, but I'd already paid for like a yoga class that day. So I wasn't going to be able to go, but, um, yeah, it was important. important. It's very important, (laughs) but no, I thought it was interesting because it's like with Iman, I, I used like from the lineup that they've had, it's always been safe and safe in the sense that it's not, and this is not a shot at anybody that's ever performed there because Amir Suleiman is dope. I love the reminders Brother Ali is dope. Yuna's cool. I like Yuna's music. But when it comes to hip-hop, there is a grittiness to it because it's real. And it's talking about real issues. And it's not always kumbaya, alhamdulillah, love, peace, and happiness. There's some real things that it talks about. And so I've just wondered what, because I had a friend that went, I was just asking her, you know, in terms of, she was interviewing the dancers, the, um, the two sisters. I can't remember. She told me their names. But the two sisters that um, danced with Brother Ali, the two hip-hop dancers, she was interviewing oh, them. Yeah. So, like, she didn't see, I think she said she missed Rakim and Vic Mensa's performance. But my question was, what was the crowd participation? Because I saw, like, the perspective of a friend of mine from Detroit who went and, you know, he was saying it, but he's a hip hop head. So it's Rakim. He's wilding out. And my question is like, but what did the from the other videos that I saw? I was just like, this is OK. Apparently, these people don't know who Rakim is when it comes to hip hop. Like they really don't know because that crowd was just too chill. Like so, I would have been losing my mind to see Rakim for five dollars. <laughs> you know, from those videos, I would have to honestly agree. Like the video reaction didn't seem to match what my personal reaction would have been and what I'm sure there were plenty of people who had this a similar personal reaction that you or myself would have but seemed like for other people they were just like ah okay we don't really know this guy but he's cool right we just we just care for the units and the reminders because they're safe Which is not a shot at them, but I think it's a reflection on how hip hop is, is viewed in the, in the Muslim community. You know what I'm saying? It's I feel like sometimes it's still seen as haram, and I get it how some of the things people talk about, like yeah, I can understand you. The future can be a, a little bit much for somebody, but you can't put that on the whole culture, especially when your culture is the reason this is what's is what is pushing this this um event for it period like you had Vic Mensa and half of your the, I don't know the whole lineup but a good 50% of it was hip hop oh, if not more I'd say the majority was hip hop right. to be honest and I, I, I see it as an effort to break down barriers first of all I didn't actually attend so I'm not sure how successful it you know that has been but um 
I, I I would agree that hip hop is still like largely stigmatized in the Muslim community in general. And when when you say when I say the Muslim community in general, I'm talking about the Muslim community that follows behind the immigrant trends of things. So I guess there's there's a pretty big distinction and a big gap between audiences even in the Muslim community, because for example, myself, um, brother Ali, uh, you name it, brother Amir, Tyson any of us would probably would generally have a harder time keeping live in a majority immigrant audience as opposed to a mm. majority black Muslim audience. So it was, there's the select few who were kind of accepted across the board, A, because they don't use profanity or B, because they don't use music. You know, Amir Suleiman, He's kind of respect. He's respected by all audiences, but mm. myself and I'm. I would even venture to say, brother Ali, are not. You know, we're not one hundred percent acceptable to the majority of the Muslim community. So therefore, what that leads to is okay. Stop focusing your art on the Muslim community then overall. So that that's what led me to change my focus to the black struggle and the black narrative and i mean have you you don't hear too much of brother ali for example you know going hard for the muslim community in his music either so i mean there's definitely a gap there's you know you have different artists who ha who rap on different things but like that it all goes back to you know that we're we as artists who are involved in hip hop are still largely stigmatized by immigrant communities. Second and third generations, they're slowly starting to come around, but slowly, emphasis on slowly. Right. I feel like hip hop is still seen as the uh, the rebellious thing to do in a way. Like, I'm gonna, yeah, my parents like Dean Squad, but I still got this Drake and Future, and I got the keys, the keys, the keys, and all that. Or, you know, like, even outside the hip-hop world to, like, more of the fashion. Like, now it's, you know, I want to be edgy. I'm going to wear a quote-unquote turban. I, I want to be hip and urban. Like, I still feel like our culture is seen as the way to rebel. You know, it's, and it's, which is, it, it's, that makes it, makes me feel like we're still seen as, um, as wrong like our whole culture is just seen as wrong and we seen as you know if you want to be muslim you got to be arab if you don't if you want to be you want to be um edgy and you want to be rebellious go do it the little hip-hop black girls with the quote-unquote hip-hop buns and and the adidas and the break dancing and that's not everybody there are some people who are genuinely into hip-hop and they learn but i still feel like as a whole hip-hop in a lot of communities outside of our own is still seen as the rebellious thing to do when you want to get back at your parents so you know when i'm at home i play dean squad but when i when i leave i'm listening to dirty sprite too <laughs> you know honestly i i kind of um i grew up going to school less so with black people black muslims specifically i did go to a muslim school so I think it was like 1% black and I was that 1%. Mm -hmm. And so in from my experience, I honestly don't see it that way as necessarily or at all 
100% of the time as a form of rebellion. It might be taken as rebellion to the parents, but to, you know, to young people and to students, I think what the, what they see ultimately is freedom of expression in hip hop. And that's something that I think appeals to everyone at a ground level, because that's what, you know, the human spirit seeks is freedom ultimately. And so I grew up around, you know, Palestinian students and Kuwaiti students who like were the first to purchase Nelly albums like before I did hmm. because they genuinely genuinely either a, you know, the little girls, they all liked Nelly and then the dudes all wanted to be like Nelly so they could impress the girls. So ultimately <laughs> There was a lot of Nelly floating around this Islamic <laughs> school. Oh, wow. And Ludacris and everything that was popular at the time. So, I mean, I still listened to the same thing that everybody else listened to. I mean, you name it, Bone Thugs was even still being played. And they were not contemporary at the time. So, I mean, I, like like you said, for it still stands for some it is an act of rebellion, but I also witnessed, you know, just wanted to say I witnessed the other side of it where it's the freedom of expression for, and kind of the opposition to the brain-brained uh, culture that some of their parents may have been raised in and tried to enforce upon them. Mm-hmm. What was your, and I ask everybody this per se, um, what was your, and the reason, well, let me ask a question first. In terms of what was your experience in terms of being a black Muslim in college? And I ask this because for me, college was a little bit of a culture shock because that was the first time where it wasn't the first time I interacted with non-black Muslims, but it was the first time where I felt like they were looking down at me. And it was like, and this is at Wayne State University, smack dab in the middle of Detroit, right next door to Dearborn. So, you know, a very high concentration of, of, of Muslims and Arab Muslims, especially on campus. But there still wasn't, you know, that unity. You know, the MSA was the MSA and it just wasn't, you know, kumbaya, like people want to think it is. So what, what, was your experience, I guess, in, in your college years, well, or your younger years now, because you're so young. So I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, what was your, what, what was your, some of your experiences, good, bad, indifferent, um, being. So I'm not a college grad, but I did attend for a few years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if a few years sounds bad or not. It doesn't um, matter. It's college. At that point, once you get to college, it don't matter anymore. <laughs> for me, because of my earlier years and, you know, the years that I was referring to earlier, like um, elementary, middle school, that was the culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. I grew up with it. I grew up, like, realizing at nine years old, I was like, y'all are just like subtly hella racist. (laughs) And like, why are y'all so, you know, fascinated by my blackness? And like my legal last name is, or my my last name is white. Why is it such a great thing to make a joke and call me NS black? Like, you know, and so like, I honestly, from early, from early on, I saw the, 
the race, the blatant racism that a lot of them, the, the, the children just kind of had learned from experience. And so, um, I think by the time I was 13 or 14, yeah, when I, by the time I started high school, I had already given up on the unity culture ultimately because I was just like, yeah, the, I felt, you know, based on that experience that the majority of the immigrant community was racist. Mm. So I, um, you could say I've had to struggle to try to reach out once my, I grew up in Colorado and then my family moved to Houston when I was in high school. So Mm. there I was able to kind of be exposed to more Muslims who looked like me. And then I was at the same time that the, that was around, you know, a couple years later when I started college, that's when I started to discover that then there was the divide within the black Muslim community with those who wanted to stay true to black culture and those who didn't. So I guess there's always some level of culture shock and that's more of the culture shock mm-hmm. that I experienced in my college years. The culture shock of immigrants and they're looking down on us and still seeing us as a joke, that for me came in the early 2000s, which sucked. And, you know, I can definitely see how it's shaped my my view of the world and the community at large. And uh, it took a little bit of deprogramming ultimately, but yeah. I kind of realized that that was one of the first things I learned. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, terrible, huh? It sucks, but it's it's real. At least, you know. I mean, At least you know. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, everyone's experience is different. Because, like, for me, and this is something that, you know, my parents and I were speaking about in the first episode. The first episode, I interviewed my parents about raising a black child. But, like, how, for me, I grew up in... A community. I'm in, you know, Imam Warfi Muhammad's community. So mm-hmm. I was always around um, black Muslims, and my parents also put me in African-centered education. So it was always in for, like I was always around my around me. I was around my kind. And even when I went to I went to Islamic schooling in middle school, where I came in contact with Yemenis and people from Pakistan and and Bangladesh and things of that nature. Still, there was still a healthy balance because there were Arab teachers, there were African-American teachers. The principal was African-American, shout out to Brother Nadir. And a lot of our parents knew each other, so forth. A lot of the children there had came from the Sister Clara Muhammad School because it closed. So, yeah, and El Iklas now is actually in the Sister Clara Muhammad School system, whoop, whoop. But, yeah, so even growing up for me and my interaction, because I guess I had that foundation that I didn't really see it, like, I probably would have maybe heard people say things about it, but it didn't register until I got to college. And, like, people were, like, picking on me, in a sense, just because I'm black. Like, at one time I tell the story, I had on a colleague art skirt, um, and their their logo is the letter Kai. Like, literally, the letter of the alphabet is their logo. And this mm-hmm. girl who, it was her and another sister that was actually cool. I was walking with that. We saw, gave each other the greetings. The girl didn't say nothing. And then she asked me about my skirt. Like, is that the letter Kai? And I'm like, yeah. Isn't that haram? I'm like, it's a letter of the alphabet. <laughs> so it's like, you're, you're really just picking on me now. 
you're just finding any reason to like pick on me and just the constant people asking me about my Kimar, the way I wear my Kimar. Meanwhile, your friend standing right next to you does not have one on and has on the tightest jeans I've ever seen. Like you're just picking on me now. And that was a culture shock because it was like I was going to Wayne State thinking that it was going to be like how I was when I was in middle school and how it was like, okay, these were cool people, but no, not at all. Like, and that's when it was like, all right, I need to just, you know, I'm, I'm down for, for, um, the melting pot to a degree meeting people and learning other cultures, but I stick with my people like, for, for, cause that foundation is needed, especially what was going on and the way they were treated. Like you gotta have that foundation. So I feel like everyone's experiences are definitely different because you have some black folks who grew up and they were a little Arab sized, you know, and it wasn't until. Ultimately, I would say that that was somewhat the path that I was on um, with my parents only because being Baltimore, Baltimore and, you know, my parents having raised a few children in Baltimore, they, they didn't want to do that with me at all, basically. So that's how they ended up in Colorado. Mm. I mean, for them, I don't think it was necessarily just, you know, their first choice. I think it was an opportunity that arose. And, you know, anything is better than Baltimore in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So they ultimately just took took the opportunity that arose. And I guess they were willing to deal with the struggle of, oh my God, there's barely any black people here. So a lot of my time outside of, you know, the Muslim focus group was spent with my parents actually exposing me to a lot of our history, this and that. My mother came into Islam through the nation and then through the community of Imam Morithin. My father came into Islam and joined the Islamic Party of North America. So they they were, uh, you could say, pretty pro-black. Mm-hmm. Um, so luck, I think, you know, if if they had been different, if they had not had those experiences, my entire my uh, my entire foundation would be different. Having, you know, learned about racism at six from my parents and experienced it at eight and nine with my peers you know that was like a solid foundation like when it came to racism i grew up real quick and so i kind of had a good understanding of prejudice you know both from example and from from lessons of my parents so luckily i was able to um grow up grow up with an allegiance to my culture and to my heritage, even if I wasn't necessarily exposed to it as much as a lot of people who grew up in places like Baltimore, Philly, New York, Detroit, Chicago, or Atlanta were. So Yeah, I just think we it's, it's something that we as African-Americans, Muslims struggle. It's something we as African-Americans struggle with, but especially African-Americans, and it's identity, you know, because we came over here and everything... It was stolen, so we had to recreate our own identities. And so when you have people who start setting other religions, they mistake it for a culture. And so sometimes for some people, it's easier to adapt someone's culture than to find or recreate your own. So, you know, it's something that black folks in general, I feel like in this country, struggle with. Having everything stripped from us during times of slavery and segregation and then, of course, the Jim Crow days didn't do, that didn't do much good either. 
ultimately for our people. So we're really still brand new at this. I mean, 30 to 40 years of actual quote unquote freedom. And we're still dealing with a whole host of issues from whoever you want to deem our oppressors. And so, I mean, I've definitely always seen that our people tend to run here and there searching for a place where they belong, ultimately, whether it be Afrocentric religions or if they want to chase their spirit directly. And if that leads them to Islam, you know, then they they have that fork in the road where it's like, okay, I can go the African route or I can go the Middle Eastern route. And I mean, you know, I've seen people go many a ways and turn out so many so many kinds of different that I, I almost have to like just focus on that one common the the least common or the most common denominator which is okay we're all black we're all muslim let's figure it out mm-hmm. from there activism i know you said that you you have gotten more into that i don't know are you using your music as your activism or did you take a break from music to do activism just talk a little bit about some of your activist work so some of my activist work um you could say honestly that my activist work didn't start with black activism per se um it's kind of an avid protester and supporter of um (laughs) bds movements against israel and a pro-gaza supporter and kind of a general Mm anti-war protester anytime that that would come up um specifically in the last few years that focus has changed towards the black struggle not ignoring other struggles but prioritizing the one that matters most to myself and to my daughter so I only recently have started trying to use my music as, my, as a form of activism. Prior to that, I would honestly say that the hiatus, the three years off that I took was to study myself more and to identify more with my culture so that I could support the struggles of my culture or my heritage or my nationality even. But um, it was kind of a time for myself to evolve and move my music in a direction that could hopefully be used as a form of activism. So in the past, no, uh, my music definitely wasn't so much a tool of activism as it was a tool of trying to I guess simply express myself and some people do consider some of my previous tracks Mm -hmm. forms of activism i don't personally i mean i think if i'm making up or if i'm you know making music geared towards a a specific cause it will be known there will be no debate about Mm -hmm. that you know i'm putting together a project which ultimately at this point has gone from named to no name still has no name but it's definitely something that's gonna happen i wish it was happening faster than i uh, as fast as i originally planned but you know how setbacks happen so hopefully within the next couple of months i'll be able to release what i hoped will be called black gold but ultimately 
you have partial inspiration on that. Your name has to go in the credits because I do use the phrase, praise God, Aww. black power Thank quite man. a few Thank times. You. Glad so. I could be some assistance. Exactly. You know, <laughs> we love all the creative licensing. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, now my music is a, um, a tool for activism, or I hope it to be that. Um, but in general, I consider um, the writing that I was doing, most of my writings have been about issues such as that. Um, one of my most popular pieces was actually um, a piece that I wrote that was anti-hashtag Muslim Lives Matter, which arose um, when the mm -hmm. three students were killed in Chapel Hill. I mean, of course, I was as against their murder as everyone else obviously that was a tragedy but i mean the hashtag muslim lives matter was a simple co-option by a group who ultimately talk about it there for us as we there for them i let's be honest i mean every time a bomb hits somewhere in Pakistan or Yemen or an earthquake hits in Afghanistan. It's announced after Juma, and they want people's support. They want your money. They want you to show up for a protest for Palestine. They want this. They want that. Meanwhile, black folks get shot down in the street and they don't bat an eyelid. But all of a sudden, Black Lives Matter gets co-opted and turned into Muslim Lives Matter. So... That was actually a piece that I put out um, in conjunction with the Muslim mm -hmm. Anti-Racism Collaborative. And ultimately, it led to the killing of that hashtag by the, by the family's request. Congratulations, that so, was up. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very uh, much. I'll send you the link <laughs> for that. But um, yeah, I have... Uh, that. That's something that, you know, start... Like, I would say I was artistically dead for two years between 2012 and 2014. Once 2014 came around, more and more writing started to happen or expression started to happen in general. And uh, that's kind of evolved from until now, until now to where my whole life is Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter in some that's way. exciting. Well, I can't wait to hear the... Uh, the uh... I guess I don't know. It's a is it a full al album or is it like an EP or for Black Gold? It was intended to be an EP, but because mm -hmm. of the extra time that I've had to put on it, it could very well become something more. So I'm actually not even gonna say right now because I do have a set number of confirmed tracks that would make it an EP. But there is so much mm -hmm. more that I could do in two months. So. It could go from six tracks to 11 tracks. Um, well, I'm looking quickly. forward to it, buddy. I'm looking forward to it, too. <laughs> Hopefully, I won't pull a Listen, Frank Ocean. You got time before that. Like, if once you, <laughs> if, once you go, once you give us four release dates that you don't stick to, then you'll be Frank Ocean. I'll put you in that, in that J-E-like Frank Ocean folder of when we get it, we'll get it when we get it. No, no, don't. Listen, not, I'm just. Let's not call out J-E-like. 
Because Erica, Erica yeah, said well, he doesn't have to put you know, out an Erica album. Erica put okay? out an album, so I'm not understanding what's going on. <laughs> Listen, when it comes out, it will come out. That's how I feel about Jay Leck. That's how I feel about Frank Ocean. I'm not waiting. That's just not, just don't have me feel that way about Black Oak, please. <laughs> and I'm still, I'm still waiting on my interlude. My, my well, yeah, praise God, Black that. Power interlude. Let, let a sister know. I'm ready. Get, I'm ready. Let me know what I need to write, what I need to do. Let, let, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> oh well hey you can just be the entire video just <laughs> no no interlude audio only shot. thank you <laughs> let me know what i need to write or whatever i'm ready i'm so ready oh <laughs> look just if you just write your feel just write what you feel when you say praise god black power and put it out even if it's just you yelling that phrase there, like listen, five times is, this, in a is row, there a beat good. to it or no <laughs> see me the beat man i'm ready i'm ready there will be yeah. <laughs> I'm so ready. <laughs> Thank you so much for sticking through this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, Malika313BK, M-A-L-I-K-A-H-313BK. And you can feel free to share this podcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And I'm even on YouTube, on DET Girl NY World's YouTube page. Until next time, peace. <laughs>